And good morning, Calvary. Good morning to our podcast listeners as well. We are thankful that you are here today. Um, we are doing um, a series that we're going to get to called Pray Like This. Before we do that, though, I want to just acknowledge that this is uh, Memorial Day weekend, and we want to just remember and, and, and thank uh, all the people who have gone before us who sacrificed so much so that we can be here. I also want to take just a moment and, and realize that we're doing a series on prayer and pause for prayer. Um, pray for people who are having a difficult time. And maybe this week you just like, I would love someone to pray for me. And we're not going to have you stand. We're not going to even have you tell anybody. So no one go up to them afterwards and said, you stood. What was, what, what's going on? Tell me. That's not the point. But if you would like some special prayer, we would invite you in just a moment to stand up. And we're going to look around the room and pray for those that are standing. And if no one stands up, you can look to me because I always need prayer. So you can pray for me. That'd be great. Um, and also, the last service, it was all women that stood up, which is fine. But men, don't be scared. It's okay to, pray, to ask for prayer, right? The other part of it, too, is I want to also, as part of this prayer, uh, specifically pray for all the farmers and those who work in the farm industry. It's just been such a rough season for them. And, and if you're in that field, know that we love you and we're praying for you, literally in that field. But that's another story. Um, if you have this time, anybody that would like a special prayer of people praying for you this week, would you just stand up? Anybody at all? Once one does, others will. Good. Now, if you would, just look around and find somebody. And if, if you're like around somebody and you don't know their name, then just pray for them this week as the Lord brings them to mind. And you don't have to know the request, but just pray for them. God, I thank you for how good you are. You are holy and awesome. And God, you know exactly what we need. And so right now, we ask that you intervene we ask that you remind us through these moments to lean into you and to sense your power and your presence. God, for those that are standing, we pray for your presence to be tangible, for you to be with them in whatever circumstances they're going through, that you would strengthen them and help them to know what all needs to be done, both now and in the future. And God, for the farmers in our community and those who work with the farm industry, we do pray for them. And we pray for the fields to dry up. We pray for your, your presence to be felt. We pray just uh, for safety as they're going to be doing long hours when the fields do dry up just to catch up. And God, would you be with them and grant them uh, peace and your presence in all of this. God, you are good and we thank you for the chance to lean into you. In your name we pray. Amen. Therefore, you should pray like this. Um, it's a series that we've been going through, and it's, it's modeled after the, wait for it, the model prayer, the Lord's Prayer. And as we dive into this, I want to kind of catch us up and, and just catch you up with Matthew 6, 9 through 12, what we've covered so far. Many of you may have memorized this, and the point of this wasn't just to memorize it, but as it says in the very first phrase, therefore, you should pray like this. Some of you are wondering, like, how do they come up with these great sermon series titles? It's way easier than you think sometimes. Pray like this, right? Our Father in heaven, your king, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So we started this series with the idea of posture and recognizing that our God is holy. And as our posture recognizes God is holy and we are on earth, we're going to acknowledge that whatever his will is the better will for our life. 
that God is in heaven. And so whatever we're going through, we, we recognize and we lean into him and we're thankful for who he is. And we're going to stop acting like we know all the answers because we recognize that God is holy. This is where we find peace. And when we have that posture of humility, it leads us to a place of surrender, which Drew talked about, in your kingdom come. Lord, whatever your will is to be done, let it happen. I surrender to you, and as I live for you, give me provision so that I might carry about the business of what it looks like. And, and then help me to forgive people as, as you have forgiven me so that I am not hindered by the bitterness of my heart so that I can carry out your kingdom work. This is the epitome of what we've been talking about. The idea of prayer is ultimately focusing our intention on what God's will is for our life. And chasing after that. And as we pick up, he talks about temptation. In Matthew 6, 13, we're going to wrap this series up today with it says, And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. When we read this passage, a lot of times it's misinterpreted. We, we see temptation more as a force that we can't reckon with. And, and let me describe it to you like this. When I was a, a little kid, um, is temptation a force? When I was a little kid, I mean very little, like bottle still drinking age. I had a twin. I have a twin. He's not dead. I have a twin brother. And when we were little back then, my mom would put us on a pallet we didn't have the little cute little seats where everybody put people in and like the safety things that keep you from running over. And no, it was like mom had to run in every couple minutes to check on you. And, and one of the things she did is she'd give us bottles. And she started noticing that I liked to eat even as a little kid. And my twin brother didn't as much. And so I would drink my bottle real quick. And then she'd come back a few minutes later. And it was really strange because my bottle that was empty was now full. And my brother's bottle was empty. And so she started thinking to herself, What's going on here? So she was, she, was, she was very creative and clever, as moms often are. And she, she bought a tempered bottle. And let's say she gave, I don't remember which one it was, but let's say she gave me the tempered bottle, the colored bottle, and, and my, my brother the clear bottle. And she would come in and she would find me at a very early age. I would guzzle that bottle down, we'll go over to my brother, exchange that bottle with him, and start drinking his, and leave my bottle as evidence with him. Now, why did I do that? The bottle was there. I wanted more. And from the time before I even knew how to speak. Now, I'm sure I already had the alphabet memorized because I was, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, by the time, I, before I knew how to speak, I was like, I want, I'm going to take. Is that how we view life a lot? I want, I, t I take. The temptation is there. And sometimes when we, we look at this, what we're, what we're praying, what we think we're supposed to pray in this passage is, God, remove the, other, the occasion of other people's sin or the evil impulses which might prompt me to sin. We read this passage as, God, I want you to take away the very temptation so that I never have to struggle. I don't want to have to face any temptation. Now, here's the problem with that. In life, you will face temptation. And temptations are good. And temptations are holy. What? Let me explain it to you like this. God didn't want to force you to be in a relationship with you. God allowed you to be tempted. 
Jesus himself was tempted and had to face the temptations in order to live a life. He was not a robot. He came and had to face the temptations and choose God, choose the the path of the Father. He had to go and say, God, I want to do whatever you want me to do. And in James, it says, when you face the temptations, count it as a joy. Count it as a perseverance, as you persevere through those temptations so that it will bring you closer to God. Temptations are not sin, and temptations are what will some ways verify your authenticity of your relationship. So why in this passage does it say, keep me from temptations? I'm glad you asked. We're going to talk about that. James 1, 13 through 15 says this. Before you think that God is tempting you, he is not. No one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God. Since, not, since God is not tempted by evil, and he himself doesn't tempt each anyone, but each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire, then after the desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully growth, grown, it gives birth to death. Let no one say, God is tempting me. Because the reason you're tempted is, well, why did I take the bottle? I want. Therefore, I take. You're tempted by the impulses of the flesh. Adam and Eve were tempted in the garden. There was a tree that they had the choice to take of the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when they took it, they, they now knew evil, Right? So in life, when you face the temptations, you can see it as, why am I facing a temptation? Or this is a chance to, to draw closer to the presence of God. This is a chance to draw closer into what God wants me to be and to do. But when we pray that prayer, Father, help me not, lead us not into temptation as I originally uh, memorized it. Really, I love what this one commentary says, is that the temptation is not a sin. The temptation, when it gives birth to the fulfillment of that, ultimately leads you into a further temptation, which ultimately leads you to choosing to sin. So what we're doing when we pray, God, lead us not to temptation, is what we're really doing is praying this prayer. See if this makes sense. This is a direct quote from a, a commentary. Lead us not means, Father, please help us to acknowledge the weakness of our sin. I'm weak. I'm weak. I know I'm weak. Help me to avoid my weakness. Do you know you're weak? Do you? So we go back in the way this looks, the way that we, we break this down. If you've been around here, you're going to hear me talk about this. I've talked about this before, but I think this is the most basic illustration. And I love this illustration. And it's one that if you've been in the church for 55 years, listening holy, 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 and you know every course and every hymn and, and have half the Bible memorized, you still need this illustration because we need to be reminded of it, okay? There's this line that's called the sin line. And the sin line says, not sinning because temptation's not a sin. But when I cross the line, oh, now I'm sinning, right? Some of you are like, I've heard this illustration. I know where to go, but keep going, preach. It's good. You know, it's okay. We can talk together. You're just staying like that. Okay, so there's this sin line, and here's the way most of us approach the sin line. How close can I get to the sin line without sinning, right? How close can I get without crossing the line? And so we sit there and go, not sinning. Not sitting like two boys in the back seat of the car going, not touching, not touching. And then you hit a bump in the road. Boom! I didn't mean to punch him in the eye. Yeah, well, you flirted. 
with disaster. And what we do a lot of times is we sit there and we go, we're flirting with disaster. We're flirting with disaster. How did I get here? Now, I'm going to go back and use an illustration. I apologize for this illustration only because I promised myself I would never do this illustration, but I think it's appropriate for today. My youth minister used to say this to us over and over and over and over. Okay? When you're in the back seat of a car with a girl, it's too late to decide how far you're going to go. So we're like, did he just go there? Yes. And some of you are like, that's awkward. But that's the reality of what we do with sin, right? And so what we used to do is we used to look at, the, we sit there and go, okay, God, lead me not in temptation. You're in the backseat of a car with a girl or a boy. What did you think was going to happen? You flirted with sin. Now, let's not make this all about sexual sin, okay? Let's make this about the reality of every sin that the world has ever known. So let's talk about Golden Corral. Golden Corral is not a sin. Yeah, I'm going to stick with that. Daniel Berry likes Golden Corral. You know how Daniel Berry knows he likes, you know how you know Daniel Berry likes? He starts speaking in third person. And when I go to Golden Corral, I, I want to flirt with, you know, like that stuff. And so what I need to do is find a way to, to avoid the sin that happens at Golden Corral. And I'm not talking about the food. I'm talking about the... Let's be honest, you don't go to a place like that for the quality of food. Because <laughs> I would actually like to be like 200 pounds more. Okay, but that's no story. Um, so here's what I want. To avoid the pursuit of temptation is what he's really asking this. When you pray, lead us not to temptation, what you're really doing is you're praying, God, help me not to pursue temptation. In other words, help me not to flirt with temptation. Three steps. None of this is revolutionary, but we need to practice it. We need to hear it. Three steps to avoiding your temptations. First, know your weaknesses. Know your weaknesses. My weakness is Golden Corral. Because when I go, I can have the mentality of, I'm just going to go. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to sit there and 14 plates later, because they were small plates, (laughs) I'm going to waddle out there and feel miserable and sick. And I'm going to go, Golden Corral did it to me again. No, Daniel Barry did this to Daniel Barry. What's your weakness? Know your weakness. Know your weaknesses. And the reality is you have weaknesses. And the reason that you run to those things is because, well, you want to. How do you know your weaknesses? Sometimes you have blind spots. So maybe you need accountability. Maybe you need people to help you. And let me just throw this out there. Your spouse is not very good for an accountability partner. It's okay to say amen to that. Right? Now, it's okay to have your spouse, like, tell you things. But for the most part, you need to find someone who is of the same gender who can know you and go through. Because someone who's going through what you're going through, who can identify what you're going through, and maybe be involved in a small group. Maybe find someone in this church who can sit there and go, hey, you want to meet? And we're going to be awkward, right? And stare at each other and go, what are you? I don't know. I'm not doing it. But we're going to figure this out because I need someone to call when I'm saying, hey, I want to flirt with this sin. And they're going to go, don't do it. And then sometimes we need accountability partners for the sense of they see in us what we don't even see. 
hey, you're, you're kind of dancing on the line there. So we need accountability, but we need it for the purpose of knowing our weaknesses, and then we need to acknowledge the temptation. How's that different than knowing our weaknesses? Knowing our weaknesses says, okay, if I go to Golden Corral, I'm probably going to eat 14 plates worth of food. <laughs> Acknowledging it means I probably shouldn't go to Golden Corral unless I have a plate limit. Right? I know if I go and do this, I'm going to do that. Right? I know it. Acknowledging it means I'm taking ownership of the fact that this may destroy me. And then the third part of that is to flee from it towards what is good. Now, why don't we do this? Why don't we do this? We come to this idea that we sit there and you go, well, I want to do what I want to do. Right? So will this work? If you do those three steps, yes. Why? Because God doesn't want you to sin. But why do we have temptations? Well, because God wants to have a cho- you to have a choice in your relationship. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has come upon you except that what is common to humanity. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able But with the temptation, he will also provide a way out so that you may be able to bear it. When the temptation comes, you will find a way to to get, stay in your lane, bro. No, take the exit. Right? Don't stay in your lane. Take the exit. The reason that you're going that way is because you're staying in the lane of destruction. When God asks us not to sin... He asks us not to sin because he wants, he's not trying to make your life miserable. He's trying to make your life at peace. He's trying to give you what's right and holy and just and pure. And and we act like, oh, and part of that is, so God, lead me not into temptation. Why? But deliver me from evil. Why is God, why are we praying that part of the prayer, deliver me from evil? Because what we're really asking God is, God, help me to find what is evil in your eyes as evil in my own eyes. Why do you sin? Because you want to. You love it. Why do I eat 14 plates at Golden Corral? By the way, I don't know that I've ever eaten 14 plates. (laughs) I may have eaten 14 plates of food, but not 14 plates. Poor pun there. Um, We do it because we want it. And sometimes there's an undergirding thing in there that, that, that we don't even know about, which an accountability partner, and sometimes a, a counselor or somebody can help us with that sometimes. But sometimes we don't even know why we're being tempted. And so the next series we're doing is called Where There's Smoke. Where there's smoke, there's... And we're going to try to find the fire in your belly that's leading you to be tempted. So brace yourself. Fasten your seatbelts, bring your, te- your hankies and your tissues, and let's dive in, okay? But for today, I want us to look at this idea 
that we fall into temptation because we don't hate the evil. And in order for you to overcome that, you have to learn to hate what is evil. Why? Because when I was a baby, I stole my brother's bottle. Why? Because I wanted it. So you have to learn to hate what is evil. Isn't that weird to say? We teach our kids that all the time. So what we hope for is we, we run to that which is excess and, excess, and sometimes we have to understand, okay, so how do, we, how do we guard ourselves? How do we acknowledge it? And how do we live? Because, okay, let's go back to the Golden Corral illustration. Daniel Berry has to eat. So I have to guard how much I eat because I would love to eat neat, 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 and then bring me dessert. Right? I would love that. But I have to guard myself because I know it's a weakness of mine. And when I do that and I, I come to the place, I have to learn that that's what's bad for me. And so then I set a boundary. And here we go. We're going to talk about boundaries. And we sit there and we talk about boundaries. And people go, I don't like boundaries because when we hear the word boundaries, we hear rules. No more rules. And the fact is boundaries can either be legalistic or boundaries can be holy. Did you get that? Boundaries can be legalistic or boundaries can be holy. How do we know the difference? Let's go back to my youth group. Okay, so here's my youth minister standing up in front of 14-year-old Daniel, redhead in there. By the way, it's National Redhead Day. You're welcome. Um, well, thank you. I appreciate you telling me that. But when I was 14 years old and I was in my youth ministry, so here's the conversation. When you're in the back seat of a car with a girl, it's too late to decide how far you're going to go. Right? Now, the question that's translated from that is the ninth grade boy in that group, it's always a ninth grade boy at that age because seventh and eighth grade boys are like, you know, that kind of stuff. And ninth grade boys raise their hand and want to ask the following question. How far can we go? <laughs> no, I just want to know. Because I want to go there. I don't want to sin. In other words, how, where's the line? So I can go right here. So I can go right here. <laughs> Oops. And what you don't realize is that's so often how we do boundaries is we set up boundaries for the purpose of keeping us from sinning, but we don't understand that the purpose of the boundaries isn't to keep us from sinning, it's to remind us of holiness. So here's what I would encourage you to see. If you are a sheep, I want you to be happy in the pasture you're in. I don't want you to look at the pasture over there and think, oh, I want to go right up to that fence. I want you to understand that where you are is exactly where the shepherd wants you to be. Graze in the field you are and realize that the ultimate happiness, the ultimate satisfaction, the ultimate peace you have is not looking at somebody else's pasture or somewhere else to go, but being content under the shepherd who will steer you and guide you to where you need to go. Yeah, we need boundaries to make sure, but the point of setting and establishing boundaries in our life isn't so that we can bump up against them only to fail and fall. The point of the boundary is to be there if we are in that bad place. It will prevent us from falling. 
But ultimately, if the boundary is our guide, we will fail. Because you were never intended to run into the boundary. You were intended to stay in your lane. Can you imagine going up a, a, a mountain in Colorado and going, oh, there's a boundary. Let's ride the car up against it. This is fun. <laughs> Glad that boundary's there. I got up to the... No, you wouldn't do that. You stay in your lane. Right? So God wants you, when you're praying this prayer, to know your temptations. And then try to set up an appropriate boundary that leads you to holiness. How do we do this? I've did a series on this before. It's not my series, but I want to give credit where credit's due. I want to give you a question to ask yourself how to know how to set up the right boundaries so that you can pursue and be happy with a shepherd. Instead of asking, what can I do? Ask yourself, what is the wise thing to do? Andy Stanley. What is the wise thing to do? What is the wise thing to do in your relationships? What is the wise thing to do in life? What is, and when you ask that question, ultimately the point is to remind ourselves that we are wanting to be in the presence of the shepherd grazing in the pasture, he says to graze. Don't look for your own independence. Stop flirting with that which will lead to destruction, no matter what that may be. And I think that is where you're going to find a place of holiness. So let me put it to you like this. Lead us not in temptation. Really is saying, God, temptations will come. Help me not to flirt with the temptations. Why? Because it will bring bigger temptations, which will bring more temptations, which will bring me out of comfort, which eventually the temptations will be like a tsunami that I can't resist and I will be enveloped. Help me not to flirt with temptation, which will lead to other temptations. But deliver me from evil. Help me to see what my temptations could lead to and see it as evil running into the presence of you. Does that sound good? What would the church look like if we practiced that? Okay. I got a few minutes left, so just like I did last week, I don't normally do this. I've done it two weeks in a row. It's like two times I've done this in my entire time, okay? That was sermon number one. Sermon number two is going to be much, much shorter, but we're going to come back here and go over here, okay? Sermon number two says what? This verse, when we read the prayers, it often we read it as it is intended and written for me. And we should, except we shouldn't. Why? Because it doesn't say, lead me not into temptation. What does it say? Lead us. What are the ramifications of that? Well, two. One, we don't need to tempt others. We understand this, right? So if your best friend's on a diet, you know what you don't do? Show up with a huge cake. If you know someone is a recovering alcoholic, you don't show up with a 24-pack. You shouldn't. If you know someone has struggled with whatever, you don't wave something in front of them. Now, here's where it gets hard and difficult and a struggle. I'm going to say an illustration. I want you to listen fully to the intention of what I'm saying and don't stop when I start the illustration because some flags and some hairs are going to bristle, okay? 
whether you're a guy or a girl, I'm going to relate it to the same thing back to my youth minister's illustration. He used to say, ladies, don't wear a bikini in front of the boys. I'm going to say it in modern day world, guys, don't go to the gym and do this. I got muscles. I know, right? And what we're really saying then, and the intention was good. He was trying to set up a boundary, but what we heard that is guilt and shaming. And I don't think guilt and shaming is actually really good. But what he, there is something to the fact of, yes, absolutely, men and women should be able to control their thoughts about what other people they're seeing, right? They should. And no matter what she's wearing, I should be able to go, not holy, get that thought out of my mind. No matter what he's doing in the gym or whatever, I don't know what attracts girls to guys, we should not sit there and go, oh, power suit. I don't know. I don't know. Y'all can tell me later, but don't. I don't really care. Um, The reality is, in those moments, what you're sitting there going is, why would I want to wave a 24-pack in front of an alcoholic? And sometimes I'm going to renounce my liberties for the sake of benefiting others. Forget the wardrobe. That was just one illustration that makes it easier and make it so much bigger than the wardrobe. You understand what I'm saying? Your gossip. Well, if I say this, she might, she's going to want to go gossip. Then don't say it to her. Right? And think about all of these things that sometimes we as the church need to recognize We're feeding what may be a sin for you is feeding the flames of what will naturally engulf someone else. So don't do it. Second part. Restoration doesn't mean the struggle goes away. (laughs) Ask an alcoholic. Hey, do you want a drink? If they're honest, they're going to say yes, but I'm not going to. Because an alcoholic is always an alcoholic. That's why they're called a recovering alcoholic. And they learn to get the chips if they go to CR here and they they go. But an alcoholic is always going to be an alcoholic. And sometimes we sit there and we go, forget the alcoholism now and make a broader scope. We sit there and we go, restoration! They should be able to handle anything. God has restored. Right. Let me ask you how far that goes. If a person has been arrested for child stuff, if you want them working in the nursery. But they've been restored. No. They've been restored, yes, in their relationship with God, but we're still, for the benefit of them, going to create a boundary that doesn't allow them to fall into the temptation they already had. You got it? So sometimes in life, you need to create boundaries for the people you love, even though you don't see it as a struggle, and even though it's a struggle to them, even if they've been restored, does not mean that the scars from that past don't bear consequences going forward. And for the sake of them and for everyone else around, we're going to set up clear boundaries, prohibiting them from damaging themselves further. Now, this is where it gets messy because it's not always a clear understanding of what it looks like, right? (laughs) Well, I think the boundary should be here. I think the boundary should be here. Okay, let's realize what it is. It's a boundary. It doesn't have to be an exact line. We tracking? And ultimately, it's about loving people. Church is messy and 
And so what we all need to wrap our mind around is the same Monday morning application. We need to seek the wise thing in every action for you and for those you love. Not what can I get away with, not how can I flirt with temptation. God, deliver me from the temptation means I'm going to face away from it. I'm going to create space. I'm not going to be tempted because the temptation will lead to other temptations, which will lead to other temptations, and it will magnify, and eventually you are in a place where you can't say no. For the sake of what we're going through, for the sake of those we love, we're going to set boundaries and ask what is the wise thing to do. Now, come back the next three weeks and we're going to dive deeper into why we do things. Because you know the real reason people lie isn't because they don't want to tell the truth. Sometimes we tell people, stop lying! And they don't, they lie because they don't understand what's going on in here. And we're going to try to find out what's in here that makes you lie. That's just one example of what we're going in. Okay? But as you do this today, I want to ask you, do you understand how good the shepherd is? Do you see how holy he is? How loving and kind, how he's willing to give his life. God looks down at you and he says, I don't know what you've done, but I care for you. And if you don't have a relationship with him, please do that. The church is not supposed to be a place of rules and regulations. It's supposed to be a freeing moment where we dwell and stay in the pasture that God has placed us in. And we find the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me to lie down in green pastures. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thy hand is with me. Thy rod is there to comfort me and to guide me. And even though I go into the path that is dangerous down the future, Daniel's standard version, I will trust you. Do you trust him? If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, it starts there. Go to the next step space and say, I want to know Jesus. But to the church in this room, I say it's time to start flirting with disaster. And if that means you need to get help, come find us. We have counselors, Celebrate Recovery, and a staff who will point you to the counselors and Celebrate Recovery. <laughs> we'll help you as much as we can. That was a joke. Poor joke. Poor timing. Because we love you. We want to help you find and have the tools you need to get where you need to get. God, you are so good and faithful and loving and kind and just. Help us to know what the wise thing to do as we pursue you, to chase after your heart. God, help us as a church to grow in our relationship with you, to be guided and guarded by you. God, help us to flee the temptations that so easily engulf us and to see them as evil. God, help us to love what is holy, to see you. Guard us from legalism. Guard us from the mentality of self-preservation only, but help us to be the church that we need to be. So God, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil into the presence of you. In your holy name we pray.